Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Year Round Madness, the college basketball podcast that's part of the Total Sports 24-7 Network. This is Chris Hayes, the host and producer for this podcast and all podcasts across the Total Sports 24-7 Network. You can find us on X at Total Sports underscore 247. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. Visit our website at totalsports247.podbean.com for all of the archived episodes of uh, all the podcasts on the network. And finally, go to weekendweekout.substack.com. Check out our newsletter there. We put that out every single Monday for exclusive bet recommendations. This will be a fairly quick podcast. I wanted to do a review of the games yesterday and let you know what's going on in the world of college basketball this week. There's a ton going on starting tomorrow, so I just wanted to get you that information. So we went 3-2 and two yesterday. All of our unders hit and then all of our plays when we chose a team and chose a side, those two did not hit. So first we have Wisconsin at Providence. This game was uh, 143 and a half was the total and Wisconsin was favored. One and a half final score, Providence 72, Wisconsin 59. Wisconsin was never in this one. They were down 16 at the half. Couldn't really figure out Providence and couldn't shoot in this game. They shot 34% from the field and 5 for 20 from Three, A.J. Stewart started to pick it up in the second half. He had a quiet first half, ended up with 22 for the Badgers. But Chucky Hepburn was held in check, 2 of 10 and only 8 points. We told you we were concerned about the play of T.J. Wall, and he went 3 for 9 with 6 points, 5 boards, 0 assists, and 2 turnovers in this one. Wisconsin just doesn't look right. They're going to have to go back to the drawing board. They had 23 fouls to Providence's 16 they, they're in trouble. They have such a brutal schedule coming up with games against uh, the likes of Michigan State, Arizona, and Virginia. Off the top of my head, I think they even have uh, harder ones than that, too. So they, they have got to figure out what to do with this offense. They looked a little bit lost and directionless offensively in this one. On the other side of uh, things here with Providence, uh, they looked pretty good. I, I would say they didn't look like amazing, but they were making their shots. They were getting basically whatever they wanted. Uh, they ended up shooting 58.5% from the field. They turned the ball over 18 times, still a problem there. They'll want to clean that up when they get into Biggie's play. All in all, Providence should be very satisfied with a 13-point win against a team that was anticipated to be, you know, right around top 25 caliber. So a good effort for Providence, I will say, uh, Aduro for Providence, Josh Aduro, the transfer, I believe from George Mason, uh, was excellent in this game. Six for six. He might be a find for this team uh, moving forward. The next game is Duke and Michigan State. We thought this game would go under the total as well, and it did. Final score was 74-65. The total that we had was 142. We basically called the way this game was going to go. We thought it was going to be very slow starting. Both teams are not shooting well to start the season. And we thought that would continue, especially in a neutral arena and against tough competition, both of them. And that's exactly what happened. They almost recovered to get to the over by the end. It was 31-20 at halftime, and the teams combined for 88 points in the second half. So it was looking a little dicey towards the end, but when uh, Tom Izzo 
basically called everyone back in the last few seconds. That clinched the under for us. But the shooting was the story in this one. Duke went 6-for-22 from beyond the arc. Michigan State 6-for-19. I mean, that's way better than what Michigan State was doing. Uh, encouraged performance by Malik Hall, somebody that I was discouraged by so far this year. 7-for-11, uh, 18 points. Uh, Sissoko still is not bringing it to the table. 18 minutes played in this one. He actually got fewer minutes than Carson Cooper off the bench. Neither one of them played all that well. Cooper fouled out in 21 minutes, and Sissoko had two points and three turnovers in 18 minutes, only three boards. Michigan State was out-rebounded by two against the Duke team, if you remember, that got rebounded out-rebounded by 12 against Arizona at home. Duke would have been worse from the three-point range if it weren't for Caleb Foster, who went for 18 off the bench and four or five from three. So he was the bright spot. He ended up being the leading scorer for this team and played much more than fellow freshman Jared McCain, who struggled in an 0 for 5 outing. So that'll be interesting to see how that moves going forward, whether or not Foster continues to come off the bench, if he replaces McCain, uh, what have you. Proctor and Roach seem to be locked in as starting guards, and they're not going anywhere. Proctor played 39 minutes in this game, and Roach played 34. So moving forward, I think Duke still needs to work on their outside shooting. They should be pleased with their rebounding performance, but they are by no means playing at their peak performance. On the other side, Michigan State, they should be pleased with the fact that they made a run at this Blue Devil team and that they shot better from the field, but they still have a long way to go. Hogard went one for eight from the field. He is struggling to say the least, but uh, they uh, should have a little bit of time. They have a little bit of a dip in their schedule. If you remember, uh, I was talking about Michigan State and uh, I was mentioning how they haven't scheduled as challenging of a non-conference this year than what we've seen from them in prior years. They've got Butler, uh, Alcorn State before they face Arizona. Then in the non-conference, they have Georgia Southern, Oakland, Stony Brook, Indiana State. So they've definitely got some winnable games. They do get Baylor as well. So a couple tough games, but they need to start seeing the ball go through the basket and they need to start getting wins. And it needs to start with Butler on Friday night. Next game, we have Marquette and Illinois. Final score, Marquette 71, Illinois 64. This game, we had as an under as well, 148, and that hit pretty easily. Part of the reason we liked the under because we thought Illinois would be able to control tempo, and that's exactly what they did. We think Illinois has this reputation of being a fast team. They're not. I don't know why people think that they are. They don't even have a point guard, so it behooves them not to go all that quickly. They've got to work on their shooting as well. Only 35% in this game. Terrence Shannon was... Uh, he was like Jekyll and Hyde in this game alone. Six for 16, three for eight from three. He went for 21 points, but he and uh, forward Coleman Hawkins each turned the ball over five times. So 15 turnovers isn't going to get it done against the top five team. Hawkins looks like a really good passer. I will say that, but he might be uh, defaulting to pass a little too much and he's taking too many threes. One for five from three to the tune of two and nine, uh, two, four, nine on the night. Bright spot off the bench for Illinois was Luke Goody, who went four for seven from beyond the arc. They may have found uh, some instant offense off the bench in Goody, who has been a bit player in his time at Illinois thus far. On the flip side, Marquette looked good. 
They didn't shoot great from three either, only five for 17. Their shooting numbers overall were kind of porous. They only had seven assists on 27 made field goals. So I'm a little concerned uh, about the uh, distribution of this offense uh, outside of Tyler Kolick, right? Cam Jones, of course, is going to get his. He had 15, and Oso Iguodaro is going to get his. He had 13 points and eight boards, but... The rest of this team, support-wise, doesn't look like it's there yet offensively for a top-five team. Kolek, it's almost like they're relying on him to do absolutely everything on offense, be it score, be it distribute, set up to play, and they've got to find uh, some trustworthy sources on the offensive side, especially if Kolek gets hurt, right? He was questionable for this game going in. He looked absolutely fine. He logged 37 minutes most in the game, so I wouldn't worry about that going forward. And he had a great game, 24 points, six boards, four assists, two steals. So still playing at an All-America type level for Kolek. Moving forward, Marquette's going to want to find some additional sources outside the big three so that in the instance that somebody gets hurt, they have the depth to take care of that. So the first game that we missed on, Kansas and Kentucky. We had Kansas minus seven. They won by five. I will tell you it was not that close. Or sorry, it was, uh, that was, the that was, let me put it this way. Five points, I think, was the largest margin that Kansas had in the second half. It was closer than that throughout the second half, and Kentucky had a lead for a good part of the second half. I was extremely impressed with the way Kentucky played. They didn't really shoot all that well, but they had such pace to the game. They controlled the pace all game long. They put up 17 more shots than Kansas did, which was the exact way to win the game. They bombed 38 threes. They only made 12 of them, but the high volume game plan worked for what uh, Kentucky wanted to do if they wanted to win this game. They only turned the ball over eight times as well. So lots to be uh, uh, to hang your head up high for with the Wildcats, but they've got to prove that. I mean, this is like a, I don't know, a, a, a familiar refrain. They've got to improve their shooting as well. Antonio Reeves was 3 for 17. 3 for 17 from 3 in this game. But they got great contributions from freshman Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham off the bench. They combined for a 7 for 9 showing from 3. Dillingham, unfortunately, fouled out in this game. And they did commit 22 fouls in this game. Kansas committed 23. So something that each team will want to clean up. My concern with the Jayhawks is what to do if... Dickinson is not dominating a game, right? Remember, Kentucky didn't have their bigs in this game. No Bradshaw, no um, Anayagu, I think is how you say his name. They didn't have anybody who, who came close to matching the size of Hunter Dickinson. And Dickinson went for 27 points and 21 rebounds in this game. But Kentucky was only out-rebounded by three. So a great effort on the boards for the Wildcats. McCuller had a triple-double, 12 points, 10 boards, 10 assists, and Dewan Harris had a phenomenal game. He did turn the ball over four times, but he went for 23 points. If you recall, he had two points all season in the first two games in Kansas's bye games. He showed that he is more than a capable shooter from beyond the arc, hitting five of six shots. Uh, he made five of six of the three-pointers that Kansas made on the day. Uh, Kansas will want to find more consistent play from their supporting cast as well. Uh, Marco Jackson only went for one for four from the field for seven points. Nick Timberlake didn't score, and Johnny Furphy didn't score either. And Parker Braun, uh, Brown, Christian Brown's younger brother, only went for two points. So 
more depth for Kansas would be uh, advisable to find, you know, go back and see um, how they can get more players involved. You don't really want Harris shooting the ball at 7 for 12 because he's so good at getting other people involved. If you have to rely on it like they did tonight, it's clear that he can step up at the same time. I don't think that's the ideal way that Kansas wants to play. So great win for Kansas. They're now 3-0. and They're going to Maui. This is a perfect preparation for Maui. They do get Chaminade in the first round there in Maui. And then, as you remember, there's a loaded field there. Purdue-Gonzaga is a first-round matchup. Tennessee's there. Marquette, UCLA, Syracuse. It's, it's absolutely jam-packed. Last game, not much to say on this one. Creighton and Iowa. Creighton just couldn't put Iowa away in this one. Final score, 92-84. to 84. I believe we had Creighton at 11 or half or 12 in this, uh, in this game. Either way, neither one of those uh, margins would have covered. We had Creighton at minus 12. And they did not cover. They were vulnerable to spurts from Iowa in this game, particularly in the second half when Creighton went up double digits and had an opportunity to put the Hawkeyes away. They just didn't seize the moment. We like the way that Ben Cricky played. We would have liked to see him try and get to the foul line more, but he was making his open shots. 11 for 18, 24 points. We predicted that he would be the leading scorer ultimately for Iowa on the season, despite the hot start of Peyton Sanford, who only played 18 minutes in this game. I kind of tuned out towards the second half of this game. I was watching more of Kansas and Kentucky. I don't know. I think he may have gotten hurt, but he also did commit four fouls. So we'll have to check on that for Iowa moving forward. Iowa certainly comported themselves well in Omaha last night. Creighton, what was encouraging is that they found some depth uh, off their bench, including... Um, Francisco Farabello, who was a rotational player last year, he ended up putting up 14 points and played more minutes than starting guard in Utah State transfer Stephen Ashworth. And Frederick King has been a pleasant surprise in the early going for the Blue Jays. He put up 12 points in 12 minutes, five of six from the field and five rebounds. And, you know, Kalkbrenner has been off to a fine start, a little bit of a slow start. So to, to see King come in and spell him, the way that he did and to be as productive as he was definitely an encouraging side for or encouraging sign for coach McDermott. Uh, I still am a big fan of this team. I think when you can play not at your peak and still win by eight against a pretty good Iowa team, you're doing fine. Their shooting is unbelievable. 51.6% from the field. They made 10 threes and uh, I think they're going to be more than fine the rest of the way. Looking at their schedule, they likely won't get challenged until they play Alabama in December. UNLV could be fairly tricky, but they have already faltered at the beginning of the season. So uh, all is well in Omaha. Okay, so that's a wrap. We were three and two for our first uh, episode. And next week, we'll we'll show you some, uh, we'll, we'll get some more picks out there. And um, we'll make some picks probably in some of these tournaments that I'm going to tell you about now. So all the action starts at 1130 tomorrow morning. There's so much basketball to consume from now until Saturday. We're going to give you the, the, the lay of the land for Thursday until Saturday. And then we will uh, uh, revisit uh, how, those, how these games have gone, how these tournaments have gone early on next week. So tomorrow, everything starts at 1130 a.m. on the U. This is the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Interesting first-round matchup here. 
1.30 ESPN, St. John's versus North Texas. North Texas is likely a consensus top 100 team in basketball, and St. John's looked really bad against Michigan in their home opener in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Michigan was able to do basically whatever they wanted, particularly offensively. This is a test that should not be overlooked for Patino and club in the first round of the Charleston Classic. So that is 1.30 on ESPNU. I'm sorry, 1.30 on ESPNU, but that is not part of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. There are two, two tournaments going on. 11.30, Myrtle Beach Invitational, that starts. St. John's in North Texas is the Charleston Classic. See how confusing all this gets. So they're playing in Charleston, South Carolina. So two tournaments going on. Another game in the Charleston Classic to keep an eye on. Dayton versus LSU at four. LSU is not considered to be one of the top teams in the SEC. Dayton has to recover from Smith's injury, and this is a game they absolutely have to get if they want to uh, have some some decent heft in their non-conference schedule and uh, make a case come March that they deserve to be in the tournament. So this is a very important game for Dayton at four o'clock on ESPN two. Other games tomorrow include the Legends Classic. This is in Brooklyn. This pits Oklahoma State and St. Bonaventure. I think St. Bonaventure is going to be better this year. I think Oklahoma State, the book is still out on them, whether or not they can crack, I would say, the top eight in the Big 12. So this will be one to watch in Brooklyn. Again, that's the Legends Classic that also starts tomorrow, 6.30 on ESPNU. Another game in the Myrtle Beach Invitational, 7 o'clock on ESPN Plus, for which you need an additional subscription to ESPN. Furman versus Liberty. We remember Furman from last year upsetting Virginia in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Liberty is, again, a consensus top 100 team. This should be a fun game in Conway, South Carolina, as part of this Invitational as well. If you have ESPN Plus, check that out at 7 o'clock. I don't think there are any other noteworthy games uh, tomorrow. These tournaments continue into Friday, again, with action starting at 11.30 a.m. Another tournament that begins on Friday, there's, there's a couple that begin on Friday, or there's a few. One is Paradise Jam in the Virgin Islands. One is the Bahamas Championship. Another is the Atlantic Slam that is in New Brunswick, and this, shockingly, is a very intriguing tournament. I'll tell you why. Friday, 4 o'clock, Gardner-Webb versus Weber State. We just saw Weber State beat St. Mary's in Moraga, so this is a team to watch in the big sky. And then later on, 6 o'clock on ESPN+, Plus, a very intriguing matchup, Colgate versus Yale. Yale is uh, the consensus pick to win the Ivy League. Colgate blew an opportunity to beat Syracuse yet again in Syracuse. And they had, I think, at least a double-digit lead in the second half before wilting away against the Orange. So a fascinating matchup at 6 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus between Colgate and Yale as part of the Atlantic Slam. Also at 6 o'clock... On CBS Sports Network, the same Providence Friars are playing in the Bahamas Championship against Kansas State. Watch for the uh, 
availability of Arthur Kaluma in this game, the Creighton transfer for Kansas State. Apparently, he is dealing with some knee issues. Kansas State looked a little overwhelmed against the USC team that just lost to UC Irvine. So I'm not sure how Kansas State is going to be this year, but Providence will be a good barometer for them. So that game is 6 o'clock on the CBS Sports Network. We'll see if there's any other games here on Friday. Nothing is etched in stone, I don't think, because uh, a lot of these games will result on how the first day of the tournaments fare out. Uh, Another game that is interesting to underachieving programs, not part of any uh, MTE, is Maryland at Villanova on FS1 at 8.30. Villanova losing to Penn. Maryland losing both games in the Asheville uh, MTE. They lost to UAB and... And they lost to, who else did they lose to? Davidson. They lost to UAB and to Davidson. So a get-right game for either for both of these teams. Good thing is for Villanova, this is at home. Uh, I'm very curious to see what's going on with Villanova. I didn't watch any of that Penn game, but I was very high on Villanova going into that game and going into this season. So uh, that'll be an intriguing one at 8.30 on FS1. The Continental Tire main event kicks off as well. In Vegas, unfortunately, they have the worst game on ESPN2 and the better game on ESPN+. Plus. I don't know why they did this, but that's the way it is. So the first game is San Diego State versus St. Mary's. This is 930 on ESPN+. Plus. Both teams have suffered losses, San Diego State at BYU, a game which they were not favored to win. And then, of course, St. Mary's, I told you the collapse they had against Weber State. So... Both teams are looking to win this game and be the favorite in the second round of the Continental Tire main event, which would be against uh, the winner of Xavier and Washington. That tournament takes place in Vegas. We also have the Arizona tip-off. Isn't this a ton to keep track of? Uh, Grand Canyon versus San Francisco's at 9 o'clock. That could be a little interesting on CBS Sports Network. I think San Francisco's the consensus number three team in the WCC. Grand Canyon's always a fun watch when they are on. And then I will not be staying up for DePaul in South Carolina at 11.30. I tell you that much. A Saturday, we have Hall of Fame tip-off in Uncasville, Connecticut. First game, uh, 12 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus, Features one of my favorite teams in the country, Mississippi State. They are playing Washington State, who I don't think is supposed to be that uh, impressive in the Pac-12 this year. So that could be something to catch your eye on ESPN Plus at noon. And then uh, all these other tournaments are continuing throughout the rest of Saturday with a lot of the matchups to be determined. The Atlantic Slam, Gardner-Webb and Colgate will play at 4, and Weber State and Yale will play at 6 on ESPN+. So that's what's going on in the next few days. Uh, We'll uh, revisit either Saturday or Sunday to talk about some results and maybe give you some previews for uh, the week of Thanksgiving. And shout out to Matt Sarziniak on Twitter. His website, mattsarsports.com, M-A-T-T-S like Sam, A-R-Z, sports.com, mattsarsports.com is where I get all of the scheduling information all the time. He compiles it in a way like nobody else does. It's so detailed. 
It gives you the game, it gives you the location, it gives you the network, it tells you if the game is streaming, and it gives you the time, and it is so detailed. It'll give you the networks, like if a, if a game, not just on ESPN, but if it gives you, if it's like Flow Hoops, it'll tell you that it's streaming. He does uh, have uh, links to live videos for uh, out-of-market games. It's fantastic. It's a site that you should bookmark. I go to it regularly, mattsarsports.com. So shout out to Matt Sarsiniak, Matt Sars on Twitter. So that is it for this episode of Year Round Madness. Thanks for listening. We'll be back, at, I think, Saturday or Sunday, probably Sunday, to talk about some of the games that are going on next week and to have some bet recommendations. So thanks for listening. I just wanted to get this podcast out to you to give you a heads up as to all of the madness that is going on, again, year round as it starts right in November. This is Chris Hayes. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode. See you then.